You are listening to More to the Story, a weekly podcast featuring Pastor Drew Tarwater and Pastor Darren Enns of Forefront Church in Denver, Colorado. Each week, More to the Story podcast will follow the Forefront Church Sunday Sermon as Pastor Drew and Pastor Darren guide you through the Bible from Genesis through Revelation. Every podcast will feature in-depth analysis of the sermon and answer questions about the Bible. Now, here is more to the story. And welcome to this week's edition, week seven, as we move along. I'm Mike Haynes, joined as always each week by Pastor Darren and Pastor Drew. Welcome, guys. I know uh, Darren had a big skiing weekend. Good to see you become a real Coloradan. <laughs> yeah, did the Colorado thing, went skiing on Sunday. Yeah, that's great. And uh, you're up in the mountains, too. <laughs> oh, man, it's just a good, beautiful weekend. Yeah, yeah, it's well, good to be back with you guys. Well, I like this cold. I, you know, I, I spent 30 years traveling through Canada, so this is this is, feels good to me. You know you know, it's cold <laughs> when your, your snot freezes just a little bit. That's my favorite. <laughs> nice visual there, Darren. Thank Thanks. you. <laughs> You're welcome. Oh, man, I am so excited about this podcast. Uh, it was such an important sermon that you had on Sunday, Drew. I, you, know, you look at what's coming in the New Testament with the crucifixion, the resurrection. That, that's really the most important thing because we know we're going to have salvation. But why did we have to have that? Well, it all goes back to Genesis 3 when sin is introduced. And I was just wondering as I was listening to you, when actually did sin happen? Was it when Eve was thinking about eating from the fruit? And by the way, I learned something every week. Last week I learned about antibiotics and chicken, and, and it wasn't the rib that, that, that men and women have the same amount of ribs. So, so Darren, so a student scholarly, I'm learning every week, and apparently it wasn't an apple that Eve took a bite out of. But nonetheless... It was when, a palisade peach, right? <laughs> oh, yes, exactly. Exactly. Or the corn, one yeah, or the other. Right. Um, was it... The moment that she took the bite, or was what led up to it when, because things are going along fine there in Eden, and then all of a sudden she's thinking, eh, now the trickery comes in, we're going to talk about Satan, we'll talk about the snake, we'll talk about the curses, but I just want to see where this begins. When did sin actually happen? Genesis 3 is such a foundational chapter for us, and it's one of the most important chapters in the Bible, and it's because it's, it's, it's one of those hinge points. If we skip over Genesis 3, then we really will never be able to understand why Jesus needed to come and why we see all of the interaction we have with, um, with Jesus in the New Testament. And so it, it's really that we have to, to, to walk through Genesis 3 to understand everything. And I think it's a great question to see when did sin really enter the world? You see this exchange now with the, the snake, the talking snake, the serpent, and Eve and, and, and Adam. And we see that in the God's commands to eat, to Eve and Adam are, early on in Genesis chapter two, it wasn't that you shouldn't look at the tree or you shouldn't touch the, mm -hmm. the fruit of the tree. It was, you shouldn't eat of the fruit of the tree. And so I think um, Adam and Eve are at this point where they're dealing with temptation. Uh, they're being tempted by the devil. They're being deceived into thinking that it's okay to eat that fruit. I don't think any of that was where the sin entered the world. I think where sin happened when they actually took that fruit and made the decision to eat it and they took that bite. And at that point, when they took that bite, they were being disobedient to God because God had given them a command mm -hmm. and they had, had just um, said, God, my way is better than your way. 
And, and so the, the act of eating the fruit you see in, in Genesis 3, verse 6, when they saw it was good, they saw it was delight. And then don't miss the fact that they saw the tree was to be desired to make one wise, right? That was the, the, the sinful desire inside of them, that, that temptation to take that bite. Mm-hmm. But it was when they first took and ate, and then she gave to Adam and he ate, we see in verse seven, then it says, then the, their eyes were opened. So I think that's the, that's the, the key word. Then mm. they took the bite, then their eyes were opened. So they began to see their sin. They felt the shame and the guilt when they took the bite. It wasn't from the temptation. Yeah, I agree. And, and that's actually one of my questions that I've given over to life groups to talk about. What are the events that, that lead up to sin entering the world? And then what is, what is the sin? Because if, if we think that a sin is a thought, Boy, then we're all in trouble because we sin a lot more than than we <laughs> we, have, we actually do. Um, when, when that thought enters your mind, you have a choice, and and God talks about this uh, to, with Cain later on in chapter four. When Cain is tempted to kill his brother because something he does, uh, his sacrifice is better. Cain wants to kill him, so he has that thought of of, of anger. And then God says to Cain, "Hey, sin is crouching at your door. That sin is depicted as a beast." that wants to rule over Cain. But no, Cain, you are supposed to rule over the beasts. They're not supposed to rule over you. But yet he allows sin to take hold of him, and those events lead him then to kill his brother Abel. And so in this instance, when the serpent comes in and says, did God really say that? Well, look at it. It Doesn't it look good? Mm. God doesn't want you to do this because then you'll be like him. And Eve looks at it and says, oh, you know what? That does look good. Wait, does God really have my best intentions in mind? And so she goes, it looks great. It looks desirable. And she eats it. And the the events that lead to that, you know, Drew, you said sinful thought. Like thoughts can be sinful if you allow them to continue mm-hmm. to rule over right. you that lead to an, an act of sin. So the thought that enters your mind isn't necessarily the sin, but you have a choice at that moment to depart from that sinful temptation that will lead you to sin and rather go with what God yeah, wants. Exactly. You know, we think of sin as missing the mark. So we're mm-hmm. missing God's mark. God has his the, the best plan for us, the plan for us to flourish, but when we interpose or impose our own view on that, we we miss the mark and it's the action of the sin in this case that that leads to and then that saying that we can't have sinful thoughts right but but as Darren mentioned I thought that was really good um, it, it's that the temptation that the thought that that did look good led her to making a decision she was going to be disobedient to God and that's when the world broke because I was just I had wondered because it was a sinless world that they were living in why would she have had a sinful thought if there was no sin that even existed. That, that's what brought me to that question. Yeah. And we could delve into that another time, but I, I think uh, what we need to get into is about Satan. And we're, again, we're going to talk about the snake. We'll talk about curses. We're going to talk about uh, repercussions from what happened. But I, I, And we could do, and I think we should and, and probably will, do a bonus episode uh, of more to the story on Satan himself and the devil. But I think just a little taste of where did he come from? All of a sudden, there it's, it seems like a perfect existence there in Eden. And all of a sudden, we'll talk about the snake and, and, and what that was. But all of a sudden, as we understand it, there is the devil. Where did he come from? 
we unfortunately don't get as much information on this as we wish we could. We do see, yeah, Genesis 3, all, all of a sudden we're introduced to a new character into the greater story, mm. right? And he's revealed to us as the serpent here. We see he has this talking snake where is there is this discussion going on. And we see characteristics in this text that are later um, given to us in names for this character. And so... Uh, a lot of commentators will look to passages in Ezekiel and Isaiah to give us some backstory on where this character came from. But what we do see is if you look in the New Testament, you start to see um, references to this character in his interactions with Jesus. And so if you're at Luke chapter 4, we see the temptation of Jesus. And it says this, that, that Jesus, um, full of the Holy Spirit, returned to the Jordan and was led by the Spirit to the wilderness for 40 days being tempted by the devil. And so now you see that Jesus is being is interacting with his character, who is the tempter. And then we look in the book of Revelation, in Re- Revelation chapter 12, and we see there's this battle where Satan's thrown down to earth from Michael and his angels, and they're fighting. And um, Satan was referred to as the dragon here. But he is also referred to as, as Satan and the devil. And so we begin to, to find out later in Scripture that the character that Eve is speaking to in Genesis 3 is the devil or is Satan or, or other verses, the accuser, the deceiver. But you really see he gets a lot of the origins from his name here in Genesis 3 because what's he's doing? He's he doing? He's deceiving, right? Um, he, he's doing those things that are in his nature and in his character. But unfortunately, we don't get the, the clean, clear picture of exactly where he came from outside of the idea that we see we pick up from some commentators that say he was a fallen angel and the demons were his fallen angels um, from heaven. Yeah, so I just did a a quick word search here on my Bible software for Satan, and it appears a handful of times um, the the actual name of Satan, uh, which in Hebrew is often Ha-Satan. Ha means the, Satan means Satan, the accuser, deceiver, whatever. And the first time that the word really occurs is in Chronicles when uh, David... Uh, takes a census of Israel. It says in, in 1 Chronicles 21.1, Satan rose up against Israel and incited David to take a census of Israel. Ooh, a census. Bad news. Uh, yeah, it is because David's trying to find out how many fighting men he has so he can go to war, and God didn't tell him to do that. Um, later on, there's a lot in Job because, again, in Job, we have this scene of a heavenly courtroom, and there's the the accuser there as being a protagonist or antagonist, and he accuses Job and God of being, you know, deceitful. Um, and then it also happens a couple times in Zechariah. So the name Hasatan doesn't really occur very much in the Old Testament. So as Drew said, we don't get that clear picture um, of, of really who he is. The New Testament's able to fill that out a bit more as Paul identifies our true enemy as these spiritual forces that are behind these physical things that we see, like kingdoms fight against kingdoms. Sometimes it's, it's you know, demons possessing those kingdoms in, in a certain sense, uh, you know, to fight against each other in, in a, you know, maybe a mystical sort of way. And that's our true enemy that's that's in there. Now we get to the snake. Is the snake the devil, the Satan? Is, is that who that is? And if so, why a snake? There's so many opinions on this. And you, Mike. you, hey, you teach this during the sermon a, about the snake. So yeah, there we go. there's so many opinions on this, and almost, um, you know, there's not honestly, there's not one just, just concrete 
opinion that most Bible scholars and commentators land on. I think there's an array of different ideas. And so I, I tease this out a little bit on the sermon on Sunday. Um, but you do see this concept throughout scripture that, that, that angels are spiritual beings that when you, when you see that you've got, um, you do have some cases in, in the old Testament, like when Abraham, um, is sitting there with Sarah and the angel of the Lord comes down and talks to, to Abraham. You, you do see this character who is a physical character. And many people say, anytime you see the angel of the Lord in the old Testament, it's referring to a pre-incarnate Jesus. And so you do see the angels of the Lord come in. And when you have the destruction of Sodom and Gomorrah, so you do see that a physical interaction there, but for the most part, when you see, um, when you see interactions with angels throughout scripture, it's usually in a vision or in a dream or something like that. And you never see a physical interaction with a demon. You, you always see that someone is possessed by a demon. And so a lot of scholars will say, well, since angels and demons, especially you know, are, are, are physical beings that if, if Satan came and just took the form of a snake, then it wouldn't have been a physical form. It would have been a spiritual form. So maybe she was speaking to a, a spiritual being, but it wasn't a physical snake there. You have other people who will say, well, maybe that Eve was looking at a snake, but Satan was whispering in her ear. So she assumed it was a conversation with the snake. Um, you'll have other commentators that, that say it's an allegory for evil. That, that there really wasn't a snake there. It's just the picture of the snake because we all think of snakes as these evil uh, kind of creepy things. And, and um, you, you will see, and Darren could probably can enlighten us on some of this, that the picture of serpents in ancient Near East literature are always these evil, these evil creatures for the most part. Um, one of the, really for me, I think where I've landed on this was I, 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 we see throughout scripture where demons can possess people and animals like in Mark five, where Jesus cast the de- the, the legion of demons out of the man in the cemetery into the herd of swine that run down the hillside. Mm-hmm. So my, I think where I land on this with Bible scholars and commentators is that the, that the spiritual character of the, of the Satan of the devil actually possessed the snake to have this discussion. And he is literally speaking to Eve through the snake that he has possessed, similar to what we'll see in the New Testament as demons speak to Jesus through a character. Yeah, so I tend not to land on things just because I don't know quite yet. But what I do know, and, and Drew mentioned it, is that snakes in the ancient Near East are, are kind of like mystical creatures. Like you, they, they, you, you always find a snake skin everywhere, but you never find a dead snake. So it's like they always are able to heal themselves, <laughs> and and it's like they live forever. So there's a story in uh, is it Numbers where where Moses puts a mm-hmm. uh, puts a mm-hmm. snake up on a pole mm-hmm. and tells the the Israelites to come out and look at it and they'll be healed. Well, that's because in the ancient Near East, snakes are uh, mystically imbued with some kind of healing power because they keep shedding their skin and they you know tend to live forever. At least that's what they thought. Um, and so that's that's kind of there's this odd physical spiritual type of thing that happens with the snake so that might be one reason here why why it's a nakash why, why it's a serpent or a snake in this story is that they sometimes tended to to view them that way um in the epic of gilgamesh which is a babylonian uh, creation story um there's a snake that obtains the stick of eternal life that the hero of the story accidentally dropped so like this snake has eternal life because he picked up this stick so there's a lot more stuff with serpents in ancient Near East literature. And we'll get to it just a little bit later, uh, uh, um, verse 14, when God gets 
mad at the serpent, <laughs> not at the devil, but at the serpent, right. and curses yeah. the serpent. We'll get into that in a minute, but I want to backtrack and, and, and cover so that the, the, the bite of the fruit has happened. And now the blame game begins. Oh, man, quick. Isn't that fascinating, it, or at least it is to me, that Eve is quick to blame the snake, and, and then Adam is quick to blame Eve. It, it really is but a the mic- serpent has no one to blame. <laughs> <What? laughs> That's right, yeah. He's got to wear it. He's like, yep, that was me. Oh, he, yeah. he was, he, he, that's all me. He's proud of it. <laughs> all right, look at what I did. <laughs> I just ruined the world. Um, but isn't it such a microcosm for the sinful nature that we now have? Uh, there's none of us who are sitting in this room where people are listening that haven't, when we sin, we want to blame others or other or circumstances, right? Oh, absolutely. And people want to blame God. Yeah. In James yeah. chapter 1, he talks yeah. why about it. Why would you have to put that tree there that I couldn't right, eat? Right, right. Yeah. Well, what do you do? You know, it's your fault. <laughs> you know, he said in James 1, where James says, you know, God is the giver of every good gift. So when you're tempted, don't blame God. It, it's the it's the temptation that has led you to make a bad decision that has led mm-hmm. you to sin, which sin leads to death, by the way, which is what God says right here in Genesis chapter two and Genesis chapter three. And I, I so I think it's a great it's a great point to to think through this idea that we will always try to shift blame because we struggle taking the um, the weight of our decisions on ourselves. We are, and we do see temptation from the devil. The devil tempts Eve. Right. But she gives in to that temptation. Mm-hmm. And they immediately want to say, no, it was the snake's fault. And Adam says, no, it was, it was Eve's fault. But I want you to see that when God gives the, he curses the snake in verse 14, and then he gives consequences to Eve and to Adam for their sin, he, he puts it right on them that they're going to have consequences for their sin. And mm-hmm. he is saying that there is no point in blaming somebody else when you sin. It, it, it's your choice. We all make the individual choice to act. The, we have volitional choice, right? There's where your free will comes in. You have the free will to choose good or bad, yes or no, what actions to take. And so you, you can blame anybody you want, but it ultimately comes down to you because you made a choice. Yeah, yeah uh, something I really like in, in here that relates to like the blame game and the order, like who talks and who's introduced when, is that there, there's a certain order that the character is introduced. So in, in the beginning, it starts with you, you see the serpent, then the woman, then the man. Then when God comes, he talks to the man first, then the woman talks, then the serpent. Then in the judgments and curses, the serpent gets it first, and then the woman, and then the man. So it, it, there's like a threefold mirroring of characters talking and being introduced here, which is just really fun to see literarily. Darren, how did um, Satan, the serpent, trick Eve? Here Again, we're in a sinless world at this point. Things are great. How does she get tricked, and what kind of lesson is that for us today? Because we're uh, we're still dealing with Satan whispering in our ear. Yeah, we have to to understand that God is the one who has been defining good and evil so far, mm-hmm. good and bad, or tov and ra in, in the Hebrew, and God is always the one who defines that. Um, for example, it's not good that the man should be alone, and so He creates the two humans, man and the woman. And here, the serpent comes along and accuses God of not being fully good. And so Eve, start, when she starts to think about that, she, she starts to take on that idea that God doesn't have the best intentions for me. And, and she allows that to infect her, and then that results, as we said, in the eating of the fruit. So the, the, the main 
the main idea here, and I'm going to play this out a bit more in my in my sermon, which I'm finally going to get to preach Yay! this Sunday on the hey. flood, uh, <laughs> is that is when we humans take on the knowledge of good and evil for ourselves, and we do what's good in our own eyes, that's what really leads to our death. Mm. When we let God do that for us, that leads to our life. And the next part then becomes the curses. And you were, because of there's so much to talk about, you kind of got a little bit into it. But uh, let's we've got an opportunity here to really delve into yeah. this. Let's, let's start... As Darren pointed out, the serpent gets it first. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Why is God so mad? And it seems like he's not mad at the devil. He's mad at the actual physical snake and, and talks about how he's going to have to crawl on his belly. Why is God mad at the snake? There is so much speculation about verses <laughs> 14 and 15 yeah. amongst Bible commentators and mm-hmm. scholars. You see in verse 14 that the the Lord God said to the serpent, because you have done this, cursed are you above all livestock and above all the beasts of the field. On your belly you should go, and dust you shall eat all the days of your life. And that has led a lot of commentators to think that, well, maybe serpents were like iguanas or snakes were like iguanas at some point, and they had four legs. And now he has cursed them to walk on their stomach. Others will say that what really God is doing is he's, he's, focusing his curse on the serpent, but but he's really speaking to the devil. And he's saying, because of what you have done, you are now cast down to the earth to crawl on your stomach. You are were a spiritual being created in heaven and you've revolted against me. And now that you've caused mankind to sin, you're destined to live on this earth and grovel on, you know, in the dust. And so, you know, there's, there's a physical interpretation. There's, there's a spiritual interpretation, but, but what I really think is interesting in this curse is what he's doing is he's speaking about the relationship that the, that the devil is going to have with mankind. You see this in verse 15, he said, I'll put enmity between you and the woman and between your offspring and her offspring. And so what you see is throughout history. Now you have the battle. This battle isn't between God and the devil. This battle is between the devil and mankind, and so you see some. Temp- you see temptation. You see um, the Job and what what Satan does to Job. You see, um, you know, like like you said about about David and Chronicles. You start to see that there's now this fight, right? The curse is now mankind is going to be at war with their enemy, which is it's just evil, which is the devil, right? But in verse 15, you also have the promise at the very end. It says that he shall bruise your head and you shall bruise his heel. And what's beautiful about this is this is what many scholars call the proto-evangelum. It's the first um, prototype of the gospel. And it's saying that there will one day be a savior who is born that's going to come and fix all this. And he shall bruise your head, but you shall bruise his heel. And we see when Jesus came, what, what happens to Jesus? He gets arrested. He gets beaten, right? He gets bruised, right? His heel is bruised and he goes to the cross and dies. But Jesus bruises the head of the devil by defeating death when he rises from the grave. And so right here, you have the snapshot of the future gospel that's going to come, but it's hidden. And I think part of the reason God curses the, ser- the serpent is he's, ma- he, he, for, for one, he's, he's mad, right? That here comes the, the devil now and he's, he's tricked and deceived mankind into sinning. But also in that curse, he gives a promise of Jesus one day who's going to come. Yeah, there's a mutual destruction that happens in that verse. Um, so Drew has been reading out of the ESV. The NIV says he will crush your head and you will strike his heel. The Hebrew is the same word. So bruise and bruise, I think is more accurate. Um, but the thing is, Jesus holds the trump card. 
Right. In that he is the author of goodness and life. And so he just, you know, casually walks out of the tomb three days later. No big deal. Um, But what we see going forward from this verse is that the reader of the Bible is constantly looking for this person who's going to do this. Mm -hmm. So who's going to be in battle with the with with evil get mutually destroyed but then god eventually conquers who's it going to be is it going to be cain no abel no seth no noah no moses no david no keep going and the entire old testament are, are stories of characters over and over fighting this battle with the evil and not being able to overcome it and so the old testament ends and you don't have anyone who's done this yet but there's all kinds of prophecies about he's still coming the Messiah is coming. The anointed one of Israel who will do this is coming. And then we start the New Testament, and that's when we get Jesus. Let's finish up with the curses because next to Eve gets it. <laughs> so right. She, she's told that uh, any childbirth that she's going to have, and, and I guess also any future women, or if they have uh, a child, it's going to be painful. And then Adam is told that any of his gardening is going to be difficult. So the re- tell me the reasons for that. And I was really interested in how, why would that have had an impact on Eve? They have not had children. How how does she even know what having a baby is? Why would that have any meaning to her? You do see in Genesis 1, 26 through 28, where God creates mankind and then he blesses them. We talked about that blessing Mm -hmm. before. And he says, be fruitful, multiply and go and subdue the earth. So, we have to believe that Adam and Eve would have understood that they were going to procreate, that that was their part of their God's plan for their life, right? The mission that they were going to have was going to go and have babies who are going to have babies who are going to have babies, right? And it's going to now populate the earth and have dominion over the earth. But they haven't had any yet. They've been walking with God in the Garden of Eden and having this great fellowship in, in, um, in community. Now you do see that one of the consequences of her sin is she's going to have pain in childbearing. So, so I think we're led to believe that if they would have remained to live in um, spiritual connection with God in the garden, that when they had children, that it wouldn't have been painful, mm-hmm. that, that it would, there, there wouldn't have been um, that negative consequence because all things were good in, in, that, in that point. But now that they are going to be living outside of the garden and they have broken communion with God because of their sin— now they're going to experience the negative aspects of life and the mission that they've been put on. Okay. Yeah, the pain that the woman and the man experience is is very much the same. Painful labor for the woman and painful toil for the man is, is the same. The work that they do to fulfill their mission of, of populating the earth and creating life and ruling and subduing, it, it's not going to be easy anymore. It's going to be hard. Um, and so a question that, that I have is, well, do we have to live with this until Jesus comes back? Or or can we try to negate some of these results of the sin? And I think about it, like, as a farmer, your tractor, you don't have to sweat anymore, mm-hmm. right? So right. It, it's kind of like a, a redemption. Assuming as your AC progresses. is working. Yes, yeah. that's true. When the AC goes out, it's awful. <laughs> and then are you saying, and the drugs that women can take to have I mean, birth now? Yeah, potentially. Like it, it's right? negating those those consequences. So, right. but do, so do we have to live with this until Jesus comes back, or can we work to bring the kingdom of God 
now. I, I find that a very interesting thing that, that we could do. The, that, that really is a really interesting idea. You think about this idea of shame. You mm-hmm. see Adam and Eve, as soon as they sinned, yeah. that they felt shame and, and they saw their nakedness. And I do think it reveals something that sin shows in us. Sin in us, since we... Our grand, great-grandparents, Adam and Eve, sinned. Sin has been ha, has something that we is in our DNA, right? It, unfortunately, there is the, the poison of sin through our blood, mm-hmm. right? We are born in a sinful world, born as sinners. Just look at your two-year-old and you can see this is true. <laughs> you know, we are not born inherently good. We can do good things, but we are not born inherently good. Right. And one of the realities of that is we are all born with insecurities. Mm-hmm. We are all born um, where we, uh, we we feel um, less than we should. Mm-hmm. Uh, we don't feel like the beautiful sons and daughters of God that we are created yeah. to be. We feel like these inadequate people. And because of that, we experience shame in our uh, who we are created as. Yeah, so as we look at the world today, um, everyone is still trying to define good for themselves. Like there's mm. a big push, you know, in, in America, especially for, for tolerance and being okay with what, what other people believe. Mm. Um, but the, one issue with that is that when everyone does that, there is no objective morality. And so live real time, there's this conflict between Russia and Ukraine. Mm. Well, some people in Russia and, 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 and their, their leaders think that it is good for them to occupy a part of Ukraine because they think that part, it be- they belong together. Right. But the rest of the world does not think that is good. And this is this eternal conflict. Everyone thinks that they have the best idea of what is good. But if we allow God to define that, that's the only way that we can actually live in harmony. Otherwise, it's just chaos and worldwide conflict until Jesus returns. And that's the foundational lie. Hmm. That's the lie that, that Satan gets Eve to believe that if she eats this fruit, she will be wise like God and she'll have the ability to make good and, and bad decisions or to, to make the decisions on what is good and bad. And so when we say, well, the Bible, when people say the Bible is just this old, archaic, out of touch, old school document that doesn't have anything to say for our day. They are completely out of step because right here on the third page of the Bible, we now see the main issue of all time that lives within our hearts is who gets to choose what's right and wrong for me. That's that's huge. I I do want to conclude with this, that the last verses in chapter three, and I know you just ran out of time. You have so, I mean, this is such an important uh, subject. But Darren, if you would address the fact that God said, all right, everybody out. (laughs) I've had it here in in Eden. And not only, and I think this is really important, just as a non-scholar, and tell me if I'm wrong on this, he not only kicked them out of the garden, but then he felt he had to put angels as guards. Mm. Is it because their brains changed with sin that, well, I'll I'll wait and I'll get dark and I'll sneak back in and and have some (laughs) of that. I've got the code to to drive still. (laughs) Those bananas look awesome. But but so, Darren, if you wouldn't mind explaining, why was that important for God to kick them out? And then why did he feel he had to have guards? Yeah, so in uh, chapter 3, verse 22, um, well, first of all, I'll say in verse 21, God graciously clothes Adam and his yeah. wife. Yeah. And he so he he covers their shame for them. Mm. They sewed fig leaves, but but Adam yeah. and, and Eve. Yeah, thank you for wife, bringing that up. I got forgot about that. Garments uh, garments of skin. Um and so God in a gracious act covers their shame. 
but they can't stay in the Garden of Eden forever because in verse 22, and the Lord God said, the man has now become like one of us, knowing good and evil. He must not be allowed to reach out his hand and take also from the tree of life and eat and live forever. Because now that humans have this knowledge of good and evil and they can do evil on their own, they, they can't live forever or else they would lead the world into destruction. And as the story progresses, that's what we see. By chapter six, the entire world is in chaos. There's violence everywhere, and the entire thing is in trouble. And so God, in a gracious act to preserve life, to try and preserve goodness, exiles them from the garden so they won't live forever. It now becomes a good thing for the man and his wife to eventually perish physically, while we know that there's a part of them, the soul, the nephesh, that will continue to exist eternally. Um... It, it's good for them not to live physically, but to eventually expire. And and every new human then has a chance to do good. And so it's a good thing to be expelled from the garden because otherwise you'd be immortal with doing evil. Right. And that's not a good thing. And here's your Mike Haynes question of the week that will not get answered. <laughs> Already there must be animals dying because God took the skin of these animals. So so there must have been some dead animals lying around that he goes, you know what, that, that'd make a nice mink yeah. coat for one you. Of the, yeah, <laughs> right, right. Yeah, one of the consequences of sin is now death is going to come, yeah. physical death. And so, yeah, it, we don't know what kind of skin it was, right? right. Hopefully it was like tiger skin. <laughs> that would be cool, yeah, wouldn't it? Yeah, <laughs> something cool. But you do see that immediately, consequences of sin, not just for Adam and Eve and the, the serpent, but also, you know, you, you, you can see that perpetuate itself out as we're going to see through Genesis 6 of how quickly things unravel. And let's end with that, uh, Darren. If you wouldn't mind, please give us a little preview. You've, you're uh, you're taking the stage on Sunday uh, upcoming, and you've got some chapters to cover here, right? Yeah. So far, Drew has <laughs> covered like one verse in the first week, and then three right. verses, and then the rest of right. chapter. Like, and uh, I'm gonna bite off five chapters and see how. Wow. It goes. <laughs> But no, I'm, I'm including excited the for flood. It. Right? Yes, the flood is okay. the main crux uh, of what I'm going to cover um, mm-hmm. and, and why that needed to happen. I can't wait. All right, so that's that's going to be next Sunday, and then of course the following Monday we'll record the podcast. That'll be that'll be great. It's we'll have be a fun. lot to, lot to cover. If you are enjoying these podcasts, please tell people about them, and you can start back with week one and walk through the Bible. We're doing this uh, almost for a year and a half, and if Drew continues at three verses. Uh, uh, a week, we, it may be ten years. <laughs> so, pray for us, <laughs> right? So, but please, if you if you enjoy the podcast, tell some friends, uh, subscribe, uh, you know, and, and hit the bell and, and give us a thumbs up. And if you want to watch uh, the, the videos, you can certainly go to forefrontchurch.tv, and on there you'll see all the sermons in the past from Drew and and from Darren, and uh, and all our podcasts as well. So please uh, do that to catch up and tell some friends about. It. So thank you guys. What a Thanks, great, guys. what a what a great amount of topics to talk mm. about. And we just sort of so much. just just absolutely just scratching the surface. Just began talking about. It. So thanks everybody for listening. Uh, we'll be back next week with another edition. I'm Mike Keynes for Pastor Drew and Pastor Darren. Have a wonderful week. You have been listening to More to the Story, a weekly podcast featuring Pastor Drew Tarwater and Pastor Darren Enns of Forefront Church in Denver, Colorado. Each week, more to the story. Podcast will follow the Forefront Church Sunday Sermon as Pastor Drew and Pastor Darren guide you through the Bible from Genesis through Revelation.
Every podcast will feature in-depth analysis of the sermon and answer questions about the Bible. Thank you for listening. We'll be back next week with another edition of More to the Story.